All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here today. I'm really uh, privileged today to introduce our guest speaker today. Is uh, our 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 preacher today is a pastor in Willisburg, Kentucky. We have Willisburg people here today. Yes, a little bit. That uh, my brother Lance Ladd is pastor, I believe, for eight years at Willisburg Christian Church. Am I right? I think eight years. And before that, I've known Lance a long time because he has been coming to Guatemala as part of Catalyst Resources International, did the foundation on that building behind you. It was hard work, and he's been coming here uh, in leading groups and leading churches for many years. And this is his first opportunity to share and preach here at Access Church. And um, I just, uh, as I've come to know him, I know that he loves the Lord and he loves the church. And and I know that he's glad to be here today. And so let's, um, let me give a warm access welcome, please, to our good friend, uh, Lance, Pastor Lance Ladd today. Thank you. Well, will you pray with me? Father, we come before you today and we just ask that the words that are spoken are not uh, from the heart and desires and mind of man, but Father, they're from your spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we pray that those words will reach down into our minds, into our souls, and into our hearts and transform us into the likeness of your son, Jesus, so that we can go out into this world and show them who Jesus is and what he's done, and more importantly, what he's doing even today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And I am excited to be here, crazy that I'm here. I've never preached in Guatemala before, um, and yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Love this country. It's really a privilege and an honor for me to be speaking to Access Church, a great church family. And uh, so, something I want to do. I forgot to bring it. So hand me your phone. Your, that's, that's, thank you. Prime piece of equipment in today's age, and I forgot my phone in the room. That's okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a friend of mine, Renee's phone here. Because it's such an honor and privilege to be here, I want to, to uh, make a memory with a picture, okay? So I'm going to take a selfie since we're sitting in sections. I'm going to do it in sections, okay? So uh, everybody behind me, here, I'm going to get close. Everybody behind me, on the count of three, say cheese. One, two, three. Okay. I'm sure you said cheese in Spanish? You could have said anything, really. I wouldn't have understood. All right. So, so now the, the, the middle section. One, two, three. There you go. Awesome. Now this section over here. Okay. Oh, that's a good looking section. One, two, three. Excellent. That looks good. That looks, except for that guy, we'll crop you out, okay? Um, but we take pictures, don't we? We love taking pictures. What's it called when you take a picture like that? Selfie, right? Selfie. We're all selfie picture takers. We love to take pictures. Um, and I thought, since today uh, I was here with Fontaine, friend of mine, I would embarrass him. Um, so I'm going to ask him to come on stage. Since selfies are so common, I figure you might know selfie poses. So come on up. 
We're going to go through some selfie poses and see how well you know Fontaine, because I know you're a, you're a selfie taker, aren't you? You even got a selfie stick, don't you? Yeah, you got a stick, man. So you're, you're big into this self-picture-taking thing. Okay, so this is what I want you to do. The first picture, the first pose that I want you to make, and I want you to stand over here so everybody can see you, and I'm going to get out of the way, is the claw. The claw. It's a selfie pose. The claw. Just do the claw, man. What's it? That's not even close. That's the claw. Yes. And apparently you, you have to have claws to take the claw pose. Uh, the next one is the model pout. Can you do the model pout? Model pout. It's pretty good. Pretty good. If you had hair, you would look just like her. Let me tell you, man. That's awesome. Uh, this one may be a little tougher. Fish gape. Fish gape. It's, it's nothing like that. Actually, you have to look like you're, yeah, like you just woke up. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Part the lips a little. This one should be easy. You practice this with your wife all the time. Kissy face, kissy face. There it is. That's Taylor Swift doing the kissy face. You got that one. Now this one, this one, the duck face. Can you do the duck face? Do the duck face. That's the, that's the fish face, not the duck face. I don't know that Don't know the duck face. So this is the duck face. And there are some girls who took it to another level. Go ahead and show that next one. Do we have, yeah, that's, that's an ugly duck face. But we have the original duck face. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you, Fontaine. Okay, I'm two out of five. You're so. two out of five. That's right. You're... We have no prize for you, right? But uh, selfies, who has selfies on their phone? Who has a selfie on their phone? Raise your hand. You have selfies on your phone? Sure you do. We love taking pictures of ourselves. We, we, we take pictures of ourselves doing all kinds of crazy things, right? We take pictures of ourselves going on vacation, uh, going to crazy places. We take pictures of ourselves with family. We, we take pictures and then we post them so everybody can see how cool our life is. We want everybody to know how important we are because that's what selfies are all about. It's interesting. They're called selfies because the camera is focused on the self, where, where I am, what I'm doing. It's, it's all focused on me. And I would like to say that this is a new phenomenon, that we're a selfie generation, that this is a new thing, but actually being focused on self has been around a long time. Back in Genesis chapter 3, we find that, that uh, Eve is in the garden with her husband Adam, and Satan comes up and he says, hey, why don't you take a bite of this fruit? And Eve says, wait a second, we can't. This fruit is the only fruit God said we could not eat. We could eat millions of other fruits, but we could not have this particular one because God said that we're to stay away from it. And Satan, Satan, so smooth with words, he, he made her think differently by saying, but did he say you would die if you ate it? And not only that, but you see this fruit, Eve? This fruit is so good. It is, it is for you. It will make you knowledgeable. It will bring you wisdom, and you will be like God. 
And so seeing the fruit, that it was pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom and knowledge, Eve took the fruit because she was focused on self and she ate of it and then handed some to her worthless husband who was standing in the background saying nothing at all, like most husbands sometimes do. And they focused on themselves. I would love to be like God. I would love to have knowledge. I would love to have his wisdom. I think I'll focus on self. I'll eat of that fruit. And so the selfie started way back in Genesis. And it has just perfected itself as a, as a part of our lives. We, we have become so much like Eve in the fact that we like to focus on self. We've perfected it by practicing it. The instinct is there, and we've just filtered our lives down to this one focus, me, the selfie. And we've lost, we've lost the sight of others. We, we've lost the, the, the call to be focused on others. Sometimes it's... it's it's not new. Sometimes it's something that uh, we live with. Sometimes it's something we do in our families. Sometimes it's something we do in our schools. Sometimes it's something we do in our friend groups. We are just so self-focused that it becomes an issue. And in the church, it's been around a long time as well. Paul told church in Philippi, in Philippians chapter two, verses three and four, something very interesting. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. In other words, don't be self-focused. Quit taking selfies. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. So thousands of years ago, Paul told a church, stop taking selfies. Stop being so focused on yourself and pay more attention to those around you. Focus on others. So how do we transform from a selfie attitude to an others-focused attitude? I think it takes an honor, an attitude of honor. Now, honor is not a word that we use very often in our culture. Maybe you use it here in Guatemala, but back in America, it's kind of a lost word. It's, it's an old-fashioned word, honor. But in the Old Testament and New Testament, it's used all the time. We find it in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Isaiah 26, 13. Lord our God, other lords beside you have ruled over us, but your name alone is to be honored 1 Timothy 1.17, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Honor serves as a bedrock in our foundation between the relationship between us and God. It is, it is the bedrock of that relationship. It's the bedrock, it's the foundation of a relationship between each other, honor. As a matter of fact, honor means to regard or treat someone or something with admiration and respect. So to honor someone or something means we care deeply about it. We honor it because it's important to us. It's valuable to us. So certain people and certain things we honor because they matter to us. 
If you would, turn to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles in the Old Testament chapter 7. And, and while you're getting there, I'll give you a little background about what happens up to this point. King David, we all know King David from the Old Testament. He wanted to build uh, a place of worship for God. He had a desire in his heart to build this elaborate building full of wonderful furnishings in order to honor God. And he wanted to bring the entire Jewish community together to worship God together. And he wanted to build this beautiful, magnificent temple. But God said, you're not going to be able to build it, David. I'm going to allow your son Solomon to build it. So Solomon, who was the wisest and richest king in the Old Testament, he builds the temple. And the temple is beautiful. It is, it, it, is, it is far beyond words. It exceeds expectations. It's gorgeous. And so all the people come on the opening day of the temple that Solomon built. Second Chronicles chapter 7 is the dedication of that temple. So as you take a look at chapter 7, look at verse 1. It says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled, filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good. His love endures forever. And then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sheep, offered sheep and sacrifices, 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. The priest took their positions, as did the Levites with the Lord's musical instruments, which David had made for praising the Lord and which were used when he gave thanks, saying, his love endures forever. Now, this is a pretty spectacular moment, and if you were there, you would have been in awe. Can you imagine being there, standing in front of a building, and fire falls from the sky and just burns all the sacrifices that you've placed out before God, just gone in an instant, and you hear the whooshing sound of God's glory filling the temple so much that it's blowing out every door and every window, every crack and every crevice. The glory of the Lord is seeping out. So filled with the glory is the temple that the priests, the holiest people, could not enter in. They were forced to stand back. If you were there, you would have been in awe. You would have stood there, mouth open, eyes wide. The hairs on the back of your neck would have stood up. The glory of God, man, is filling the temple. You would have done exactly what they did and just fallen on your face and professed, God is good. His love endures forever, over and over and over. That's what they did. That's what you would do. You would have sacrificed bulls and sheep and goats. You would have done all that, and you would have been amazed. Now, think, if you will, with me, just for a second. You're standing before that tremendous sight. The glory of God is filling the temple. This is now a representation of God. This is where God lives. This is a beautiful place. Now, imagine one of you goes up 
the steps of the temple and takes a sledgehammer with you and just starts wailing away, just starts swinging as hard as you can against the pillars of that temple. What if, what if somebody took their garbage from home and just started to spread it around the altar? What, what would happen if, if somebody just went up to the candles and into the water basins and just knocked them over, said, you know, somebody will pick that up later. It's no big deal. Well, I will tell you what would happen to a person if they did that. According to Old Testament law, the Jewish law, that person would have been taken into the middle of the streets and they would have stoned that person to death. That's how seriously they took the temple in that day. That's how seriously you would have taken the temple in that day. Because it wasn't just a place that represented God. It was where God lived. And so they valued the temple, therefore they honored it. It's much like some of you do even today. You have temples, right? This place, this, this building and, and the campus is your temple, and so you honor it, and you should. You should honor it. You shouldn't bring your candy wrappers and lay them all over the floor, your water bottles, and leave them for somebody else to pick up. You, you shouldn't come in here and, you know, come up here and play on the instruments or play with the, the cameras and, and think, hey, you know, if I break it, the church has money. They'll, they'll pay for it. You should honor this place, right? You shouldn't let your kids run around with magic markers all over the place, no lids on them, and just, yeah, have at it. Color on the walls. You shouldn't do that. Why? Because you wouldn't do it in your own home. And so you should treat this place with no less respect than you would treat your own home. This is a place that you should, you should respect and honor. But this is a tool. This building is just a tool. This campus is a tool for God's ministry. He gave it to you. You should be good stewards of it. But we need to be very clear. We don't honor this building. We don't honor this campus. We don't honor traditions because they represent God anymore. The building, traditions, are not representations of the temple of God that we find in 2 Chronicles. They just don't. I'll be honest. God doesn't really care about this building. And God doesn't really care about your traditions. Because God's temple is a much different place today. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. The temple of God we find in 2 Chronicles has changed location. And if you think back to, to 2 Chronicles 7, fire and glory are falling from the sky. It's amazing and wonderful. And you would think to yourself, that, that's a once in a, in a, in a millennia thing. That, 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 that will never happen again. But it did. It did happen we're going to get to Ephesians in just a second, but I want to show you that it happened again in Acts chapter 2. The disciples are together, and uh, I have it on the screen for you. The, the disciples are together, and we see this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
The disciples were in a room together trying to figure out what they were going to do with the gospel of Jesus. How will, we, how will we express this to people? And so we know that this is the beginning of the first day of the church. And they came together and fire falls from the sky and the spirit of God, the glory of God fills each of them. And then they go out into the streets and they preach a message for people to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God who died on the cross for our sins and was raised to life to defeat death and offer it to you, offer life to you. And thousands of people accepted that day thousands and thousands. We find that they were pricked to the heart in verse 37. They say, what shall we do? And in verse 38, it's on the wall back here, it's on the screen up here, this is Peter's response. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, and what? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And from that day forward, from Jerusalem in, in, in the, on the day of Pentecost to Guatemala today, we find that the temple has moved from buildings and furnishings and traditions to people. The temple is now the people. And Paul writes about that new dwelling place. If you're in Ephesians chapter 2, things and buildings take a back seat because the people are who God is most interested in. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, Paul writes, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul writes and tells us, guess what? Not the buildings, not the furnishings, not the traditions. They're nice, but they don't matter to God as much as you. And so you are where he will dwell. You have become the temple. And here's how we know he's talking about all of us. Because in the Greek, in the, in the ancient Greek here, Paul uses the word you in verse 19 and in verse 22. And it's the plural form. I don't know how you say it in Guatemala, but in Kentucky we say y'all. All right? You all, y'all are the temple of God. Plural. To do what? The word temple there is the singular form of temple. So you, me, and every church that worships today is the temple of God. And we are to reflect the glory. We are to reveal the glory of God. We are where his glory resides. And it should rush out of us, out of every crack and crevice, out of, out of every pore. The glory of God should be seen by people in a way that they will respond the same way they did in 2 Chronicles, where they back up and go, wow, man, look at what God can do. Look at what God can do. Because you are the temple. I love what was said during communion. Is your life displaying Jesus? You are the temple. So God isn't just trying to build a church. He's building his church through you. Now, I want you to think back. You're standing in front of that temple, the, the fire, the glory, the whole nine yards. Nobody here would have ran up on the, on the steps 
and tried to destroy the temple, right? That would have been crazy. Who would do that? Who would do that? If, uh, if you walked in this morning and you found graffiti, somebody broke in last night and sprayed graffiti all over the walls, foul language and, and words that were disrespectful to our Lord, would you be upset? Yeah, of course. If somebody went up there and ripped the crosses off the wall and broke them into pieces and threw them on the floor, would you be upset? Would you be offended? Absolutely. Absolutely. If somebody came in here and just broke instruments and broke cameras, would you be upset? Absolutely you would, right? Why? Well, because those things are important. Well, let's take a step back. We recognize the temple is no longer the building or the things or the traditions, but the temple are the people. Now, just, just evaluate for a second with me. How many times with our language have we sprayed ugliness and venom and hurt with our words on the people who are supposed to be our brothers and sisters in Christ? How many times have we broken people in our church with our actions and just left them laying in our wake? How many times have we disrespected the people in our church because, well, they're not that valuable to me, they're not that important, they don't affect my life, so, so they're, they're not worthy of my time, they're not worthy of my love. Who would do that? Because when you do that, it's like taking home run swings with a sledgehammer to the temple of God. The temple, man, it's you. You are the temple. You are to reveal the glory of God. I love 2 Chronicles 7. I do, man. Fire and glory fall from the sky. It's awesome. But sometimes we forget that the temple resides here. This is not a holy place until you walk in it. So if somebody came in and destroyed the cross and pulled everything off the stage, if somebody came in here and spray-painted ugly words, it would offend me too. But it should offend me more when we don't treat each other with the love and respect that we're supposed to. <clears throat> you know, um, I grew up at a church that, that loved mission work. That's why I love coming to Guatemala, or Guatemala as you call it. Um, I've been to Mexico, I've been to Africa, I've been to Haiti, I've been to the Caribbean, and uh, uh, my parents were very, very interested in mission work, even though they weren't missionaries. They, we traveled around the world. My parents snuck Bibles into China. They loved missionaries. Um, my parents' best friends were missionaries. And so um, there, was a, there was a house at the, the back of our church property, just sat there. The church owned it. It sat there for years and years and years and years, and nobody knew what to do with it. My parents said, why don't we make it a mission house? So when missionaries come from other countries to America to raise support, they don't have to pay rent, and they can stay there for free. The church thought it was a good idea, so my mom and dad went, and, and with other people, they cleaned the mission house. 
And then they asked, they said, uh, will the church please support us and bring couches and dishes and things of that nature? Would, would you bring that? And so people donated items to fill this mission church up. And what they thought they were doing is offering their best, but they were bringing their worst. They were bringing old couches, you know, that, that they didn't want anymore. They were bringing dishes that were chipped and broken cups, and, and they were bringing mattresses their kids had peed on for years and years and years. You know, they, this is great stuff. Surely a missionary would want to, to stay here. It offended my parents, and they were so offended. So they threw all that stuff away, and... and they, along with three or four of their families, not rich people, I don't come from a rich family, but they went out and they bought all new furniture, all new dishes, all new beds, and they, they repainted the, the mission house. My dad made me every year mow the lawn, trim the shrubs, and clean the, the windows of the mission house every year. That was my job. And my dad loved that mission house, not because it was a mission house, but because of the people who stayed there. So it was very important that we treat it well, and I remember my dad saying, I will not treat the possessions of God any less than I'll treat my own. In fact, I'll treat them better. And so that mission house was nicer than the house I lived in as a kid. They had better stuff. They had a nicer TV. When mission families came and I got to be friends with their kids, I was so glad because I got to go over to their house, right? It was a really cool place. Here's the thing. The whole reason my parents treated that house with honor was because of the people living in it. You see, prior to missionaries living there, never thought about that house. It sat on the back of the property for a decade. Guess what? My parents never furnished it with the best. My parents never made me mow the lawn. My parents never made me trim the shrubs. We never painted it. We never cleaned the windows. Why? Because that house was only worthy of honor when the temple of God was there through the missionaries. And so sometimes we can get it backwards. Even in Guatemala, I'm sure, we honor, we honor things more than people, we honor traditions more than people, and certainly we honor ourselves more than others. We know the two greatest commandments, right? Luke Chapter 10, verse 27, where Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with, with all your strength and with all your mind. And the second command is like it, love others as yourself. You can't love others unless you love God and you can't love God unless you love others. They're eternally linked. And so it's important to God that you love others, that you love the temple. And I love what Francis Chan wrote in his book, Letters to the Church. If, if you flip over, if you're your Bibles, Ephesians 3, just flip over one page, 3, 8 through 10. This is how important you as the temple are, and this is how, in, how incredible the church is as a whole. Take a look at what verse 8 says. I love this. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was now, stop, real quick. The 
the manifold wisdom of God, his glory, his greatness, God wants to express it. How does he do it? Pick back up. His intent was now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Think about what that's saying. God went to the angels and said, you want to see something really cool? The church. You want to see something that will blow your mind. I know you live up here in heaven with me, but this is crazy, guys. Take a look. My incomparable wisdom, my manifest glory resides in the church. You want to know why? It's my temple. Those aren't just my people. That's my temple. That's my temple. So let me, let me leave you with this. God wants to show you off to his angels, to the authorities and principalities in the heavenly realms. He wants to show you off. The only way that you can impress the angels in heaven is by honoring each other. And that way, you honor God. And when you honor God, he looks down and says, ah, now that, that is awesome. The glory of God resides in you. Jesus died for each and every one of you. Honor each other and you will honor God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. All glory and honor, they go to your name. But it amazes me that with all that glory and with all that honor, you would, <laughs> you would choose us to reveal that glory. Father, I thank you so much for your love, your grace, your mercy, but I thank you for your Holy Spirit who resides in everyone sitting in here who has surrendered to Christ. Now I pray they go out and honor you by honoring the other temples in this room. And together, we will reflect the glory of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.